Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Galatians 5, 19 through 25. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Thanks, Austin. How about just right there on the front row? That'll work. All right, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit for uh, most of the summer since the beginning of June. We're going to wrap this up next week. And it occurred to me in studying the text uh, this last week and thinking about the next theme which we, uh, which we pick up this weekend, that there's one big idea that I've taken for granted in preaching this series. In fact, I think for the Apostle Paul, there's one core reality that he assumed And he assumed to be understood and true in the life of the community at Galatia. And that key assumption is that the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And assuming that the Holy Spirit is real, it really gives us an insight into the power of this text. It means that when we say the fruit of the Spirit, that's not the same way as just saying the characteristics of a good Christian. It's the evidence of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwelling a believer and indwelling the community. And Paul assumes that the Galatian believers have had an experience with the Holy Spirit. They understand it's generating. The Spirit generates these qualities in the life of the believer. Qualities like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Today I'm going to talk about gentleness. And the next week you get to hear from my friend Andrew Arndt from New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Andrew is really solid. He's going to wrap it up talking about self-control. The Spirit generates this stuff in the community. And so making this big assumption that we're talking about the stuff the Spirit does, I could ask you quite simply, have you experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are there moments where you know, not because you had the reserves of this kind of virtue in your heart, but because God was at work that these characteristics showed up in your life? Or has the Holy Spirit ever spoken to you and directed you in a way that you you just know this is beyond my ability to manufacture? If you've never experienced the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you should ask for it. You have not because you ask not. Ask for it. If it's been a while, ask for it. If you've had some and you want some more, ask the Spirit and keep asking the Spirit to move in your life. Now, I always wonder, should I share this in real time or save this kind of thing for later? 
But uh, share, okay. Well, uh, yesterday I, I was so sleepy, just so sleepy. And uh, there was, Emily had a 13-minute timer on whatever was cooking in the oven. And I thought, this is a great chance to take a 13-minute nap. And so I, I lay down and I fell asleep and I woke up like 13 minutes early. And I woke up so grouchy, I mean grouchy like you wouldn't believe it. And I was so impatient and rude toward my children. And I went to sleep with that shame that parents, you know, that shame. And I woke up with that shame of like, oh. And then I remembered as I was falling asleep, what am I preaching on tomorrow? Gentleness. Great. Of course. When Paul says the Spirit generates gentleness, it's effectively the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, to some, gentleness or meekness is the same as just being called a wuss, but just a Christian version of a wuss. But weakness, meekness is not weakness, and gentleness is not the absence of strength. Some of you were here a couple of years ago when my friend Susie Silk from Church of the City in New York came and preached on blessed are the meek, and she defined meekness as deliberately restrained strength. Let me ask you this, which requires greater strength, to give in, to, uh, to restrain your impulses or to indulge your impulses? Which one requires greater strength, to give in to your anger or to hold back your anger? Meekness is not weakness. To get our heads around what Paul was trying to say when he used this word gentleness, we could look at some of the ways that it was used in the ancient world and in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, Plato and Aristotle actually employed this word, uh, using it to describe people who are mild in their social interactions. I guess the antonym of that is people who are spicy in the way they interact with others. So the people who are mild or people who have gentleness are those who are, are, are mild, they're, they're calm. Uh, Aristotle used this word to describe being between the extremes of excessive anger or the inability to be angry. Gentleness or mildness, meekness is there in the middle. Gentleness in the Bible is often used to communicate considerateness, being considerate of others. It reflects social tact or forethought. In an apocryphal book called Sirach, uh, a book that would have been read by Jesus, we hear the, the word used here. My son, perform your tasks in meekness, same word Paul uses with gentleness. Then you will be loved by those whom God accepts. Meaning when you do your work, whatever your work is, be considerate of other people. And in being considerate of them, they will love and respect you for it. Uh, in Proverbs, Solomon uses uh, the same word. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What is a gentle answer? It's a restrained answer. It's a considerate answer. Instead of unleashing on you the fury that I feel, I'm going to restrain myself out of consideration for you. Peter uses the same word in describing how believers should relate to those outside of the family of God. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, with whom he's got no small beef, says this. 
What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Do you want me to come and tell you what I really think? (laughs) Or do you want me to be careful in how I communicate? Should I restrain myself? You're thinking about Paul, Peter, others advocating for gentleness. What is the lesson here? It's like the moment in the office when uh, Dwight says the best advice he ever got from Michael, which was, don't be an idiot. He says, whatever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? If they would, I do not do that thing. (laughs) Great advice hurts my feelings every time. (laughs) Similarly, Christians should ask, would a jerk talk like that? Would an inconsiderate person do that? If so, I do not do that thing. And here's a really great question for us to reflect on, thinking about our professional relationships, our family relationships, our relationships with others in the church. Does my treatment of others reflect the courtesy, restraint, wisdom, and gentleness appropriate to a Christian? Does the way that I treat others... Does my treatment of them reflect the courtesy, restraint, wisdom, and gentleness appropriate to a Christian? At times for me, the answer is no. In the same spirit of God that that stirs up gentleness in us, when we're aware of those places where we have rough edges, also teaches us to say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? Parents get used to saying that to your children. We should get used to saying that to each other. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? On the one hand, gentleness is being considerate, having social tact, thinking of other people. There's also another angle. The same word is used in the Scriptures. The same term that's translated gentleness or meekness can also be reflected by the word teachability. Teachability. Having a submissive or teachable or coachable spirit before God. Again, that apocryphal work, Sirach, uses that word, gives us insight. For the fear of the Lord is wisdom and instruction, and he delights in fidelity and meekness, those who are willing to be instructed. The Apostle James picks up the same theme of humility, of coachability, teachability before God, demonstrated by a willingness to be instructed. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Same words here. We could have said, and with a gentle spirit, in meekness, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Teachability is uh, one of my favorite qualities in a person. The person who's hungry to learn, the person who you can have a difficult conversation with them or point something out to them in which their thinking might be faulty, and they thank you for it, is one of my, I think, just an incredibly attractive quality. It's a winsome quality. Uh, Henry Cloud has written a number of really great books. One of those is Necessary Endings. And in Necessary Endings, he's giving us a guide on how to deal with different types of people. He says you got wise people, foolish people, and evil people. And when you talk to wise people, when you correct wise people, they thank you for it. He tells the story of uh, how he was invited by the chair of the board of this Fortune 500 company, and they were taking out the CEO to lunch, and they were going to give him a really harsh talking to. And one of the potential outcomes of that conversation could have been the termination of the CEO. 
And so they lay the, seat, the, the chair of the board and Henry Cloud lay everything out on the table. And they're, now they're waiting to see what is this guy going to say. He says, what happened next literally caused my eyes to water. The CEO looked up, nodded slowly, and said, you've just given a great list of the things that I need to learn to do to be a great CEO. Those are definitely my opportunities to grow. I would like to get better in those areas. Will you help me? Cloud reflects, I don't know exactly how to describe it as it was not a business response that was welling up inside of me. It was a human one. My heart was seeing right in front of me something that is good and pure about the best of people. The CEO heard frank feedback about himself and how he could do better, received it, and desired to make the effort to grow. The, per the person who ultimately does well is the one that can learn from his or her experience or the experiences of others. Make that learning a part of himself and then deliver results from that experience base. And that requires being open to feedback. They're meek, they're gentle, they're teachable. I started to wrestle with these two definitions, social considerateness on the one hand and teachability on the other. And I'm thinking, what do these two things have in common? And, and part of what binds them is that considerateness and teachability are both looking outside of oneself. They're both looking outside of oneself. Considerateness or being gentle socially with other people takes into account the humility of the other person. It includes this recognition, I know that the way that I am affects how you are, therefore I'm going to steward how I am in such a way that sets you up for best success. Teachability also looks beyond itself in recognizing I don't have within me all of the wisdom and knowledge and experience that will lead to my own flourishing. Other people have things to offer. There's insight and knowledge that I lack. Therefore, I'm willing to look beyond myself in the interest of learning and being well. And these two qualities uh, together that cause a person to look out in courtesy and also to look out in curiosity are delightful. Those of you who employ others, when you have an, an employee, especially someone who's young, and they're, they're hanging on your every word, they put into practice the coaching and instruction you give them, when they're considerate and thoughtful in the way that they speak to people above them and people below them and people beside them, you think there's a lot of hope for this person. When a person is looking out in curiosity and looking out in courtesy, these people are a breath of fresh air. And I like how Paul says that creating this kind of person is what the Spirit does. The Spirit softens people. It wears down those rough edges, and it also opens people up socially. Some of us know folks who didn't come to Christ until later in life, and what marked the transition was the openness to others and the gentleness that was not characteristic of them before they knew Jesus. A meek spirit, a gentle spirit helps us to see other people and to learn from other people. 
And the sweet aroma a gentle spirit puts off is further clarified by its contrast, discourtesy and harshness, a failure to think about the other, or defensiveness and prickliness and unwillingness to learn. These things are like repellent social qualities. You know, the person who, when confronted about their bad behavior, puts the blame on everybody else or Think about the person who's like blasting a video at their table in the restaurant, and you're like, come on, or on the airplane. Or think about that person who, like, everyone in the room knows that they are acting in ignorance, but when they're corrected and given insight, they're like, oh, I already know that. I've already tried that like a thousand times. These are abhorrent qualities in a person. Don't be that person. Instead, we should do what Paul says in Philippians. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your social consideration, let your willingness to be instructed be evident to everyone. They know that that's something that's true of you. And I was curious and a little puzzled about the inclusion of this phrase, the Lord is near. And it made me think that it's like, hey, like he's near, like don't make him growl. <laughs> These are such lovely qualities to have a, a teachable spirit, to be considerate of other people like he's been considerate of us. Wouldn't it be really great? Think about all of the things that humanity has been through in the last two or three years. Wouldn't it be really great if followers of Jesus were known for being socially courteous, restraining our impulses, and ideologically curious? Do you think that that's our reputation on the whole? Maybe you have a better opinion of most Christians than I do. Wouldn't it be great if that's what Christians were known for, that we're people who are willing to learn, we're willing to receive correction, we're quick to admit when we're the ones who screwed things up, we're courteous and and thinking about other people. I'm afraid that many people find us to have actually the opposite characteristics in society at large. We're prickly, we're defensive, we're judgmental, we're unkind, we're inconsiderate. Which is a shame because these same qualities that Paul says the Spirit generates in us were also characteristic qualities of the person of Jesus Christ. He said so himself. Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. If anyone could think highly of themselves, it would be Jesus. He says he's gentle and humble in heart, and in him you'll find rest for your souls. Matthew quotes a passage from Zechariah speaking about Jesus on the day of his triumphal entry, saying, Say to daughter Zion, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He comes in not commanding authority and attention like a Roman emperor would. He comes in gentle and lowly. Isaiah describes the gentleness of the Messiah, saying a bruised reed he will not break. He's got a soft touch. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And then Peter, describing the gentleness of Jesus in his arrest, said when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He's gentle with us. Dane Ortland in his book, A Gentle and Lowly, says, Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. Jesus is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He's gentle and lowly in spirit humble in heart. Now, some of you may be like, this is, sure, you're probably right, but this is still wussy. This still just feels like you're calling Christians to be pansies. And some may be thinking, this, you're just describing a person who's soft and, and weak, and you might wonder, are there not times where we need to fight? Is there no place for violence? John Tyson, ironically, this week uh, sent out, sent out an email, and it, he said, "Be violent with the spirit, but gentle with the person." In illuminating this thinking, it goes to stories of Jesus casting demons out of people. He was gentle with the person. Go home and tell all that the Lord has done for you. But with power, he commanded the spirit. Did violence against the spirit, but he was gentle with the person. Think of in the writing of Tertullian, an early church father, he talked about how the church was expressly, deliberately nonviolent except in prayer. And when the church got together, they did violence against heaven, crying out for God to move in their land. You think about the metaphor that Paul employs in Ephesians chapter 6. It's war imagery, but note where the war is directed. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's not calling you to be a wuss. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It takes grit. It takes toughness to stand in defiance of the enemy empowered by the Spirit. Take your stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against the person. But our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So put on the full armor of God. Toughen up. Get ready to fight. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Be ready to engage in war, to do violence against the Spirit, but to be gentle with the person. And thanks be to God that because of God's great love for us, while we were dead in our sins, while we were on the enemy's side, He showed mercy to us. Doing violence against the enemies of our soul through the cross, but being gentle toward us. 
not treating us as our sins deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, the author of Hebrews tells us, is gentle toward us, the perfect high priest, because he knows what it's like to be us, and he now lives to intercede for us. He's been tempted in every way and yet without sin. Thank God that Jesus is gentle with us. As we follow this Jesus, may God give us the grace to be a community of courtesy. It's treating others with with kindness, with considerateness, a community of, of curiosity where we're leaning into with eagerness, learning to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and also a community of courage, a community of grit, willing to stand in defiance against spiritual opposition as citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know that we are made of dust and to dust will return. So thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in, our, in the, the frailty of our egos, the woundedness that we carry as part of ourselves as people, uh, that you are gentle with us. Jesus, we hear your call this morning. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I pray that you would give grace to the weary and burdened today to do just that. In fact, if you're here today and you just, you've got a heavy heart and a, or a distracted mind or a guilt-laden conscience, heed the invitation of the Lord Jesus and throw yourself at his feet. For he's humble and gentle in spirit. Jesus, we remember the words of Scripture, if any of you lack wisdom, let them ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, with no judgment. Give us your wisdom today. Empower us by your Spirit. Transform us by your Spirit, Lord Jesus, that we might be people of courtesy and curiosity. Help us to have a spirit of discernment to know uh, how, to, how to wage war, how to do violence in the heavenly realms, but be gentle toward people. Lord, I pray that you'll so move and work in our lives. We'd find ourselves as ones who are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Soften the rough edges. Give humility to the arrogant who think they have nothing more to learn. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those, those I just felt, feel compelled to pray for those groups of people toward whom Christians just have a sordid past and they've not experienced us to be humble and gentle. Pray for, pray for people of other faiths. Pray for gay folks. Inside and outside of the church, that you'd help us to be gentle, full of grace, and full of truth. And as we come to the table, Lord Jesus, I pray that you pour out your spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us more than just that, but a means by which we experience the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. As we eat it, would you fill us afresh? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. We love you, Jesus. We want to love you more. In Christ's name.
We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.